0: Good evening ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog from Fuga-A to Fugazi. i I'm your host Ian James Wright, and joining me today to discuss Glue Man from the first 1988 EP is Nick Pellicciotto, who played drums in the bands Edsel and Newet Kojak and currently in High Heaven, and who did live sound for Fugazi, as well as some other work with them. Nick, it's great to have you, how's it going? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So cool to have you. I was just talking about the Fugazi Live series uh, with another guest, and I'd definitely love to hear about some of the work you did with them. First of all, though, could I just ask you to go back to the beginning and tell me a little about your relationship with Fugazi? Um, I think I, I understand you actually met Guy at your first show ever playing with a band. I did.
1: Um I mean, I was, of course, a total Discord fanboy growing up. I grew up in Bethesda, Maryland, and started going to shows when I was about 14 or about 15. Um, But so I came in to the quote-unquote scene um, in, like, the third wave. So I kind of—I didn't get to see the original, you know— bands like, you know, minor threat. Um, I did see the bad brains, um, cause they stayed together, you know, throughout along long, that period. But, you know, I missed the first wave of kind of original discord bands. And then I got into it at the tail end of the so-called revolution summer. Um, and then really, um, was going to shows like a lot by like 1986 and 87. And, um, I had a, a hardcore band in, in high school um, called at wits end. Um, yeah, which is like a completely generic emo band (laughs) name, um, which is pretty funny, but yeah. Um, we, uh, we, our first show, um, like our first official show and we might've played like in a friend's basements and shit like that for, for our friends and stuff, but we played a positive force benefit, um, which positive force was a, I'm not sure if you're familiar do you know who what Positive Force was I
0: actually just had Mark Anderson as a guest for the uh, Give Me the Cure episode so yeah Oh fantastic listeners yeah I mean, will Mark be... <laughs> If listeners if you haven't listened to that episode yet go back and, and have a listen because that was a fantastic little interview and you'll hear all about Positive Force
1: Yeah I, I actually really want to listen to that because Mark Anderson was a a big influence on on my life you know I uh, just because he was you know his group Positive Force promoted you know a lot of punk rock all ages, punk rock shows, um, in Washington DC over the years. And they had political activists talking between bands and they always had like tables set up with information about various, uh, political and social, um, movements and groups. And so it was just like, a you know, very, um, you know, a very cool atmosphere to grow up in, you know, and, uh, anyway, uh, he booked us. Um, He got us onto a, a Positive Force show at this place called the Sanctuary Theater in Adams Morgan in Washington, D.C. And um, it was like a matinee show, and um, Scream were headlining, and uh, a couple other bands like uh, Rain, which was this band with uh, Ed, uh, Eli Janney, who would go on to be in Girls Against Boys and is currently the music, musical director on the Seth Meyers show. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, and... um uh you know bunch of other bands but anyway we were one of the bands and we played our set and after the show Gee came up to me backstage and complimented me on the show and it was like you know pretty much the best thing that had ever happened to me in my life up until that point so yeah
0: <laughs> that's amazing and that just, yeah that just sort of led to you uh eventually m- meeting everyone who went on to be in fugazi yeah, I mean, you
1: know, they they were always around. I mean, you know, those guys were, you know, totally, ex, you know, they would just be at the shows hanging out. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, I was a big fan of their bands. I mean, I, you know, um, the pre-Fugazi bands, um, you know, were... One Last Wish was a band that Brendan was in with uh, Gee and um, Eli Janney, Eddie Janney's brother, and... um Mike Hampton, who was um, in Embrace with Ian. So One Last Wish was like the post-Embrace Rights of Spring band. Uh, and I got to see them a couple times, um, and they were really good. They they have a they put out their re- recording on Discord at some point. It was like posthumously released. Um, and then Happy Go Licky were were basically Rights of Spring um, with a different name um, that was sort of just like pre-Fugazi, but it was like the four members of Rights of Spring. And um, I really loved them, and I would go see the, every single show that band would play, and they didn't play that many shows. Um, they, maybe they were playing around for like a year, and they never actually did a proper studio recording. There's one LP out of theirs that's just like live, I think. Um,
0: yeah, I feel like I've heard Gee talk about how he, he really wishes there was good a good recording of that band because it was like i do too because he loved it so much yeah
1: i do too and, and i will say that this actually will dovetail or segue into glue man because for me glue man is the most happy-go-licky song that fugazi recorded and it and honestly it's sort of it very much could have been a happy-go-licky song so to me it has the elements of what that band happy-go-licky were doing which was like much more experimental and sonic um, rather than like it's anthemic, but it's also just it's much more sort of noisy and kind of experimental sounding yeah. than most of the other songs on that first record. And I I feel like that's much that's like the Gee and Brendan and Happy Go Licky slash Writes the Spring influence. But you know we could we can we can get into that. um But yeah, I mean, so I'd meet those guys and I met them at all the shows and I knew them around town and is of course a huge Fugazi fan and um yeah and
0: so i was trying to do I mean if you want if you want the full story i can <laughs> i can i can keep talking you know <laughs> well i guess i to, i was trying to do a little detective work like poking around on the discord website like the live series and try to nail down when you started with them was it on the 1996 like southern usa tour yes that was the first tour i did with them okay. it was 96
1: um Joey P, who, um, Joey Picuri, also known as Joey P, who's a very uh, notorious and hilarious man was their first sound guy. And, um, he had to retire cause he started having kids. And, um, so uh, I was, I was working at the black cat club in Washington DC one night and Ian Mackay came up to me at the soundboard and said, Hey Nick, you know, I, uh, I've really got to talk to you about something. Um, and I was like, wow, it's weird. I mean, I, I knew Ian and we chatted here and there, but, you know, I never had like a, you know, never really talked to him about anything like serious or whatever, you know, and he was, so I talked to him the next day and he asked me to be, to, to be their sound man. So, um, of course, I said yes. And um, the first tour we did was uh, the Southern Tourist, tour of the Southern United States. And, and, I, and very auspiciously, that is when I met my future wife. Oh, that's beautiful. She, w- she was dating the singer in the opening band called Glorium, who uh were a punk band from Austin, Texas, and she was uh just hanging out with them along for the ride. And I made friends with all of them and and, and also the guy I'm playing in a band with now called High Heavens was the guitar player in Glorium. So I owe a lot of my um you know, a lot of my <laughs> a lot of my future uh and friendships to to touring with Fugazi as well so you know
0: yeah it's interesting to think about these little moments how like if they went slightly differently uh, your life now would be entirely different
1: yeah I, I you know it's funny too because when Ian asked me to tour with them I was actually I had actually just gotten a job in New York at some like cable TV channel doing sound because I had like kind of stalled out I don't know I just wanted to change so I was like maybe I'll move to New York because that's where all my friends everybody moved to New York you know
0: yeah I did it myself. I must confess. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: I ne- I actually never ended up moving there. Um, but um, even though my dad was from there, my dad was from, uh, was a Brooklynite, um, and my, my 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 family were all in in um, Brooklyn. Uh, my dad's side of the family all lived in Brooklyn. But um, but anyway, uh, I I I set this job, and then Ian asked me to tour with them, and I was like well, of course I'm going to do that because he was like, well, we're going to do a Southern tour and then we're going to go do a two month tour of Asia and Australia and Hawaii. And I'm like, man, dude, how can I say no to that? you know? Yeah. So, yeah.
0: That's amazing. So I I was wondering, just thinking about, uh, you know, Fugazi had a reputation for, uh, a certain kind of austerity in, in doing live shows like no fancy lighting uh, yep. uh, blah 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 and I always imagined like in my head it was kind of uh, straightforward like a mic on each amp standard drum miking. are there any little details that people familiar with live sound might find interesting about or anything out of the ordinary about doing live sound for them yeah
1: well I mean they were really easy to make sound good
0: you know, um,
1: because it just sounded awesome on stage. I mean, their their whole thing was like they got the balance on stage, so it sounded good for them without any of the sound equipment doing anything. You know, and then I turned the sound system on, and they, they barely used monitors. I mean, they only really used monitors for, like, vocals. Yeah. But they didn't put any of the other instruments in their monitors unless the acoustics were so weird or it was outside, where sometimes it's sort of hard to kind of, like, you know, get an ambient sound but they hated playing well i don't know if they hated playing outside but i don't think they well actually that's not true because they love playing at fort reno
0: yeah although but, those fort um, reno shows got like rained out more often than not so <laughs> they sure did maybe there's some bad uh, associations
1: like <laughs> august was always the wet this month in dc and then those freaking shows were like uh, you'd always see it too. Like, like, you'd be standing on the stage setting up everything kind of like looking off into the distance to the west because I think the stage faced west there, and you just see those storm clouds coming over yeah. the horizon. And you're like, please, just you know.
0: There are some uh, amazing moments. Were you were you doing sound the the Fort Reno show where there was like that huge lightning strike in the middle of oh, turnover? Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Oh, I was oh, there. Yes. It was incredible. That was definitely crazy. Um, it's
0: maybe the best live music moment of my entire life. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was pretty um, pretty powerful yeah. moment. It's, it's on YouTube, actually. Um, you can, Is it really? Yeah, you can find it. Although, I mean, you know, it's not good video quality. It's sort of like a tiny little screen. So it only gives you a sliver of a sense of what it was actually like. Uh, but right. it's, yeah, it's a nice little yeah. way to relive that memory.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, actually, I, I, one little funny thing with doing sound for them was, um, you know, Brendan Canty had the Liberty Bell. And, um, you know, on our, on our rider, it said bell, Mike, and we'd show up and the sound people would always kind of have it kind of in the area of where the ride symbol was. Cause they thought I wanted to like close Mike, the bell of the ride symbol, but, it, but I'd be like, no, 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 it's an actual bell. There's an actual Liberty bell on stage and they thought it was funny, but funny story about the Liberty bell is, um, uh, when we got that first tour, well, actually the second tour I did with them, um, we played Hong Kong. And uh, they did two shows in Hong Kong. They did one in like a high school gym, which was like a sort of proper gig, quote unquote, you know? And then the second gig there was in this big public park in Kowloon, which is like the uh, mainland part of Hong Kong. And, um, there's a big public park and it was a Sunday and, and that park's like packed and with people. And it's really cool. Cause there's like all these old people in the park doing like Tai Chi and stuff. And, um, you know, the promoter had gotten a permit for them to play in this park. And it was totally crazy because it was like there were some Fugazi fans there, but there was mostly just like locals and like elderly people and like random families and stuff, you know. Hmm. And um, and there wasn't really a sound system per se. There was like a vocal PA. So I didn't really have anything to do. And there were not enough mic stands. So my job at that show as a sound guy was to just put the mic on the bell when, when I knew that Brendan would be playing <laughs> <the> bell, <laughs> I
0: was like the bell mic stand
1: guy. Yeah. You know? Anyway.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. Um, that's, well, that's an interesting little tidbit there. Cause did, did they all refer to it as the Liberty Bell? Yeah. Uh, I mean, as far as I remember, I mean, my
1: memory is pretty terrible. Okay. Um but... I just
0: I've I've heard and read a lot about that bell, and I don't think I've ever heard anyone like refer to it that way. So uh, I, I would just be interested to know if that's that was its name, basically. I think I <laughs> mean that's what. Yeah,
1: I mean that's what I remember it being called. I mean, I am extremely patriotic, so
0: <laughs> maybe,
1: I mean, maybe that gotcha. colors thing. thing.
0: <laughs> By the way, was, um, do you remember was Jem Cohen on that uh, at that Hong yeah. Kong show? Because well, it's weird that you mentioned
1: that, because I'm just looking at the... I've got the sleeve of the first Fugazi record in front of me, and um, at the bottom... And I never noticed this before, but at the bottom of the Glue Man lyrics, it says, Word Donation and Direction, Jem Cohen.
0: Yeah. Well, I asked the question and, uh, because um, I believe the cover of End Hits is a picture of a photo of Hong Kong, and I, I wasn't sure if Jem had like taken that on that tour or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He was there, he, yeah,
1: I mean, he was there, he was along with, no, I don't think he was with us in Hong Kong, Hmm. maybe not that time, because they may, they may have been, they may have been there before, I don't, I don't know if they went there before, um, before 96, but, um, or was that, 97, anyway, whatever, um, but, yeah, no, he was with us for a lot of, of, of subsequent tours, um, filming for Instrument and um you know yeah i mean he was he was around i mean uh, i remember him filming stuff i remember him running out of eight millimeter film in like lafayette louisiana and you know being being not being able to find any and stuff like that because he filmed with like you know vintage kind of eight millimeter cameras i think he might have had like video cameras as well but he used like
0: yeah, I think there was like Super cameras. 8 and 16mm or some Super 8, some rather, point. sorry. Yeah. I mean
1: Super 8, yeah, sorry. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, no, was, that's that's awesome. <laughs> if Any other little tidbits like that come to mind, uh, please feel free to drop them in as we record because obviously this is a very Fugazi-obsessed podcast and I'm sure our listeners sure. <laughs> wouldn't mind hearing about any little details. Um, I know I wouldn't. Um, yeah, but, I mean, those guys liked, a, liked good sound. I
1: mean, you know, I mean, when we did have... You know, it was it was they were always concerned about it it sounding good. And I mean, we we had, you know, a lot of our own microphones and actually got they, they had their own monitor system that we would roll out if the house one was sucked. Um and there were a couple tours where Fugazi toured with the sound system. Like at one time they toured with rat sound, which is like um started off as Black Flag sort of sound system and then morphed into like a huge, massive, awesome sound company that like toured with like Red Hot Chili Peppers and all these different bands. Um, And that was always, that was fun. But, um, you know, usually we were just using like local sound equipment and, you know, that varied, you know, pretty radically from town to town. And I mean, Fugazi would play lots of weird shows, like, not weird shows, but, you know, places that a lot of bands wouldn't normally play, and you know, in circumstances that were um, you know, not always, like, mainstream rock, pro-rock style stuff. Not so necessarily designed
0: of, for uh, the acoustic. No, I mean, there was a
1: lot of, lot, of, lot of improvising, you know, and a lot of, like, kind of, like, kludging stuff, and just making it work, but, you know, at the end of the day, it was like, they were such a great live band that I mean, it was nice when it sounded awesome, but it didn't, you know, it didn't have to sound wickedly perfect for the crowd to just freak out every time they played, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I uh, i honestly can't oh. remember, like, I i saw them in a couple of odd venues, I think, and I, it all blurs together. I was just excited to be seeing them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, so that's a good little segue uh, with Jem Cohen to talking about Glue Man. Um, and just by way of introducing it um this is this is a song i was i was researching a little bit i was surprised to see it wasn't actually very often played live no. um i have it at, it's sort of like far down the list um it's at number i think it's number 57 uh in terms of like the the tally that i'm looking at um but when it was played i i guess it was often played as a set closer yeah. Um, and in fact, it was the last song they played at the last show ever, and so yeah, basically, it was was their last performance. Was Glue Man" um, the Forum, the London
1: Forum? Yes, yes. Which is I, which is I will say, those series of recordings made at the London Forum are probably the best live recordings I I, I ever did of
0: them. I have the recording of the last show. I I, I bought that one from uh, Discord.com. I I actually wanted to ask you. Uh, just side note before i we talk about glue man um the the previous the penultimate show uh it's it says it was recorded by you on uh, digi- digital audio tape but it's not available and there's no set list. Do you know if that's the if there're sets like that that they just haven't gotten around to putting online for whatever reason is there like a mastering process or something that they need to go through um, so wait so you're saying second
1: of the third of the three forum shows is not online
0: yeah that's right i actually haven't checked if the first one is online uh, but the last one certainly is um no they're all on there
1: oh wait no you're right only the only the third one only the last one is that's weird um yeah maybe they're not maybe maybe it's just i haven't gotten around to doing it i mean i i would say that the fourth one is like the bet is probably the best because um not because it was their last show, but because I had three nights on the same equipment to t- kind of really um, nail down the recording. Because, see, the thing about recording them was that we we only had a two-track recorder. I mean, those, those recordings were not recorded multi-track recordings. They were only recorded on um, stereo. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I had to mix those recordings like live like on, at the moment, and because we never toured with our own sound console or anything like that, every night it was like a different a different kind of, I had to figure out a way to record it. And, you, you know, typically you don't want to just record like a straight board feed like that mirrors the mix that you're doing in the house because, you know, for example, their guitar amps are really loud on stage. Yeah. And I would, and depending on the room, you know, I sometimes wouldn't have to put that much actual guitar into the actual sound system because the 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 amps are so fucking loud you know so i would and i wouldn't ever tell them to turn it down you know (laughs) unless it was like absurd you know and i was like i can't get the vocals up you know i can't uh, and they'd be like okay you know i mean there we could we could negotiate that somewhat you know but i never wanted to make them turn it down so much that it was like made them you know, play weird, yeah, you know, I guess, or whatever.
0: I guess Ian's. Well, both of their their amps were. Um, I mean, they had to have it at a certain volume to get the kind of tone they were going for. right? Exactly,
1: and and the feedback stuff. You know, I mean, you can only get that when it's a certain level. Sure. You know, and the thing is, is we all, you know, over the years of being in bands, I mean, you know, my my, you know, I think my strength as a sound guy was always was always looking at it from the artist's perspective you know because i would have been in bands and i had always played sh- i'd played plenty of shows where like the sound guys like you guys got to turn your amps down totally turn them down so i can <laughs> do the mix and you know that whole thing yeah, you know. and it's like <laughs> he's, he's annoying like great hippie like deadhead sound guys who are just like stoner jerks like you know who think punk rock sucks and all that stuff you know and, um, you know, I, my whole thing with doing live sound was always like, it's the band needs to feel comfortable, right? Like they have to be playing the way they want it. They, their sound needs to be, you know, on stage it has to be where, it, where, where it inspires them to play. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if you're not going to, cause the thing is, it's like, it's not going to sound good if a band isn't playing well. I mean, yeah, you could have the baddest-ass sound system in the world, but, you know, if the band's uncomfortable and not playing well, it's not going to sound good. You can have the shittiest point, yeah. sound system in the world, and if the band's loving it and having a great time, it's going to sound awesome. You know what I mean? So you, they always have to feel comfortable. So I, I, I feel like as a sound guy, I was always like, I never wanted to, like, step on the sound too much, you know? To me, it was always like, live sound is just like, you're just channeling the band, you know? It's like damage control, you know? You don't, you know... I, but I would mess with the mix, and I, I I like to do dub effects on a lot of the dub songs and stuff like that, um, you know. And I, I would have fun, you know. And you could hear that on a lot of the live recordings.
0: Yeah. Um, so actually, I I was meaning to to ask you something about that as it uh, applies to glue man, because I was um, I was sort of looking at a couple of live performances that can be found online, um, and I think I guess this is from before you had uh joined them there's uh footage from Olympia 1995 where there's clearly some kind of delay effect on Gee's voice right Yeah. at the beginning of Glue man it's like ah 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 ah
1: so yeah yeah totally
0: is, is is that happening through the board with some kind of a effect that is sure, being operated sure, by Joey B sure.
1: absolutely and i w- i would do the same thing i mean i you know i always like to have my effects and over the years i actually had a little outboard rack with special effects i had this analog delay that i like to use cuz it sounded more like organic than a digital delay and i had like some other i have like a distortion unit that i like to use that i would like to put on the vocals in certain songs you know do you remember do
0: you remember which ones they were just as a as oh, an interested I mean, guitar player
1: oh sure i mean um shut the door was one that i would go nuts on because it has that like long dub kind of kind of middle section you know yeah um you know um smallpox champion has this like i would put like a distortion effect on the on the vocals on that one um songs like stacks has that like um kind of ian kind of does this like kind of scream thing out into the verse i'd put like all these kind of crazy effects on that and then of course like um shut the door and uh Oh man, I mean, so many uh that I would kind of. But yeah, it was it was typically the kind of dubbier stuff and and like when those guys would hear it, you know, they they would when they if they heard that I was like kind of like I put like a dub type delay on the snare that would kind of create like a polyrhythm and if it was like in time and just right, they would they could hear it on stage and they would kind of just extend it playing because they could hear that I was kind of like in a good groove or whatever. So that that's always really fun, you know?
0: That's fascinating. Are are we talking about, by the way, like, like rack effects or like stomp boxes? Yeah, I had this
1: like guitar multi-effects thing actually that was like a guitar rack effect that had like multiple effects, but it was like an Ibanez thing from the 70s and it had like an analog delay, a distortion box. It was like a kind of a rack-mounted unit. But then I also had, I, I collected like, I had this like weird little tape delay um, univox tape delay that actually used like little mini eight track cassettes as the tape delay. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, you know, I would, I would kind of, I would, but typically a lot of like, I knew the presets that I liked on some of the more like popular delay unit or uh, effect units, like, you know, Yamaha effect units. So I could like recreate a lot of those effects, but you know, I would sometimes do like big reverb blasts on the snare at certain points. You know, when I didn't knew there was like a, you know, Cause a lot of times Brendan would, there's this like particular thing they would do where he would like end like a verse part where they would do a stop with like a snare, it would like pop, you know, and then they'd stop
0: and then they'd come back in. I'd, I'd kind of ca- try to catch that
1: snare with like a big reverb or
0: something, you know? Yeah. That's so fascinating. That's great. I, I had never heard this discussed before. Um, a, a lot is made of, you know, Fugazi on stage, not using any effects other than um like, like Geese distortion plus right. or whatever. Um, but, yeah, that's that's so fascinating to me. They Great.
1: loved it. And Ian Ian always totally, I mean, they all, like, totally, I mean, you know, as long as I did it tastefully and wasn't, like, you know, yeah. fucking making it really stupid sounding. I mean, um, but they, they loved it, you know, and they were like, do that more, you know. <laughs> but 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 I did it because I, I, I would go see them and Joey P would do that, you know. Yeah. So it was just like I was just doing what, I was kind of just kind of following in his footsteps because, you know, they were into the dub thing, and I liked, I love dub, you know? And I love, like, the the whole, you know, I mean, Lee Scratch Perry and, like, all that kind of, like, spaced-out dub stuff. Like, you know, I my one of my favorite things to do is to put, like, flanger and delay on the hi-hats. When Brendan would kind of start playing these, like, 16th notes, I'd kind of, like, put this, like, flanger on it and then, like, delay it out so that it was just, like, became this, like, cascading kind of effect, you know?
0: Huh. Nice. That must have been nice also from the, uh, dimension that you actually sort of had something to do other than like ride the faders a tiny little bit as they played. It's like, it must've been more engaging as a sound guy.
1: Yeah. And you know, it was like kind of like, you know, it was like a sound guy's version of a drum solo or something, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, um, so let's talk about glue man then. Um, it, so speaking of Jem Cohen, are you aware of the story of like, uh, uh, his film Glue Man his like little art film and how that dovetailed with the song um you know actually
1: um now that you mention it yes i actually had not even thought of that in years and um yes i i didn't i actually didn't yeah i mean yes i know that movie and i definitely saw it i just haven't seen it in years and i completely forgot that that was the inspiration for the song
0: yeah so um, of, of course, like this is it 's way before you started working closely with them, but I do have just to explain it, I have a couple of quotes from interviews i 've and articles i 've found online so apparently um, here 's one quote from an article revolving around the alarming footage Cohen had captured of someone sniffing glue outside of his apartment in New York. The film would use a demo of the band performing a looping riff and a text Cohen penned for guitarist Guy Picciotto to read. The process later inspired the band's song of the same name, with Picciotto building upon Cohen's words. Um, and another one, this is, this is Gee speaking now, quote, Jem and Ian actually went to the same high school, so they've been friends since the late 70s, early 80s. The working relationship started very early in Fugazi's history. He'd made this film called Glue Man. Uh, he kind of got us involved on the soundtrack for that short film, and it sparked our song of the same name, which Jem contributed a lot of the lyrics for. Uh, End quote. So, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting case of like two pieces of art that are a little bit made in conjunction and one is inspiring. The other kind of reminds me of like 2001, a space odyssey, how it's like the film and the movie were or or the film and the book were sort of created at the same time, like as a collaboration almost. So that's that's a fascinating little tidbit about this song. It is. I mean, for me, that
1: song was always like the um, I mean, I assumed it was about drugs um obviously because like sniffing glue um but i mean it um you know to me that song like it's actually really strange because i i had until you said that that was the last song they played ever together i i actually it didn't i didn't even realize that until you said that um But what's strange is that was always, like, the freak-out song in the early days at the end of their set. Mm -hmm. So uh, the reason why I picked it was that, you know, their early shows were, you know, these, like, you know, kind of somewhat transcendental-type experiences, you know? Like, it was just, like, you know, these just, like, unbelievable kind of group experiences, you know? Um, Yeah. and, And that song was always just, like, the kind of, like cherry on top of it you know it was like you know they played you know these anthemic songs like waiting room and and everything and then and then glue man was just like this like sort of just like kind of really heavy kind of dark you know just sort of sonic freak out which You know, is the other side of of Fugazi for me, because to me, there's sort of like the two sides of the band, you know, there's like the the waiting room side and the glue man side, you know, I
0: I was thinking exactly the same thing, which is especially interesting because those two songs are like the bookends of Fugazi's first release, right? Yeah, The first song is Waiting Room, which is your rhythmic, anthemic, sort of straightforward Ian song. And it ends with Glue Man, which is this wild, weird, poetic Gi song. And yeah, you're exactly right. They're like, they're both sides of Fugazi.
1: Yeah. Um, And I mean, oddly enough, I mean, just just as a matter of historical record, no one knew that that last show in London was going to be the last Fugazi show. Yeah it wasn't like backstage. It was like, okay guys, this is like our last show ever. You know, there there was nothing, there was no notion of that at the time, you know, Um, is like, you know, so it's just, it is, it is it is a very strange coincidence that that turns out to have been the last song they ever performed live together. Um, But, you know, like, so, I don't know. So the, the thing about the, the, about the, about Gee is that, you know, obviously Fugazi started off as a, as a three piece and then Guy joined later. And, um, uh, Jim Spellman, who, um, I, do you know Jim from Velocity Girl and stuff? No, no. Okay. Well, Jim, Jim Spellman is a drummer and, uh, or a, the drummer and songwriter and stuff for that band Velocity Girl. And he's a good friend of mine. And, you know, we all met at all those shows and, I live, he was a roommate of mine, but you know, he, we, we, he posted it. He, he sent me like a clip that he had recorded or something of them playing at like, it was a clip of somebody had recorded, maybe So Rob Habibian from Edsel. Cause So Rob used to film shows back in the day. And it was like maybe one of the early shows that, cause Guy kind of would just like hang out on stage with them and dance around. Yeah. And you um, know he wasn't really in the band, and then he like eventually joined the band. But but oh, I know what it was. Jim sent me a clip of the first show that Gee played guitar on, and on the very first note of the first song, I think the guitar amp might the head might have gotten knocked off the amp. <laughs> <laughs> so like the very first, but it was it was funny cause, but like I don't know if Glue Man was the first song, the first Gee song that Fugazi did together.
0: I believe But uh, I had f- determined that it was break-in. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay. Right. I don't, I, I guess he
1: didn't play guitar on glue, man. I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm going to, I'm thinking he didn't
0: No, he no. He yeah. spent
1: the, the most of the song kind of writhing around on the floor and stuff. Yeah. Kind he of was... like he did like an Iggy pop thing, um, on that song. Um,
0: you know, yeah. by that time, he was probably had no shirt on, you know. <laughs> um, uh, uh, well, a particular stuff. performance that a lot of our listeners may know is, uh, and this is appears in the film Instrument, is in 1988, Philadelphia, there's this performance where they're playing like at a, at a school gym and they kick off the beginning of the song, Guy climbs up uh, Brendan's drum kit and... Hops onto this this basketball hoop that's right classic. over classic, classic, yeah, yeah yes. of course. Every I know like that. every Fugazi fan has has seen this, and it's like, uh, but it's just uh, bears mentioning. I don't, I don't think I could do this episode without mentioning that. So he's like,
1: oh, no. I mean, yeah, climbs through the, the
0: basketball hoop, and he's like hanging upside down by his legs and delivering this uh, crazy vocal performance of glue man. So that's <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't call it typical, but definitely he would always go all out and do some crazy theatrics with this song yeah
1: um yeah and it was always just yeah i it you know it was like the cathartic release you know um song and and uh it it, it really it reminds me of the kind of um i mean i picked it to talk about because it it really reminds me of the kind of the um intersection, it's sort of the influence of like "Rights of Spring and Happy Go Licky, that kind of like super kind of, um, uncontrolled chaos thing. That was like a big part of those bands that, that, that kind of brought like a, a different element to the, like the DC punk scene, you know, that, that was sort of like, you know, a different vibe, you know, because the early DC hardcore stuff was, you know, it's great, but it's like very, masculine yeah you know it's very kind of i wouldn't say you know it's not like you know macho or whatever but it's a little bit macho Gee, and you know and frights of spring and brendan's influence on fugazi to me was the sort of more was this kind of you know that this sort of more let's say sensitive but like a kind of you know a darker more you know kind of discordant vibe which which you know was, was, was to me is what makes Fugazi like the great band because they have these sort of like this kind of like you know um, you know these two sides it's like the Janice face you know or something like yeah. that and in certain songs it actually it kind of it in certain songs it there, it actually shows it in within one song but I would say glue man is very much just like this one way you know, this, that one aspect, you know, of their sound. I, I, I guess if we could think of songs that had, you know, where, where the, those two elements were included in the same song, but like Lumen is very much like a pure angst kind of song to me, you know?
0: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And also, um, and I, I do think it's so uh, that the live performance of this song is such an important aspect of it. Um, when, when thinking about the meaning of it, because, if if you had only heard this song on the record and hadn't um, seen them play it live, this might not occur to you. But the the whole the line "I spent it all," um, the, it seems like right. This is, it's a song about drugs and addiction and spending all your money on um, on your addictions. But to w- when you watched Gee perform this live and just be going all out. It's hard not to think that it refers to spending all his energy, like giving his all to this song, when he's just like screaming, "I oh, spent yeah. it all." Yeah. Um, so that that is that always occurs to me um, when I listen to the song and watch watch a video of him playing it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like if there's anything about that band that's true, it's like they always like went like went you know a hundred percent at their shows you know um and 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 i mean that's and that was their goal i mean you know they um you know if 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 at any point in a show you know they felt like the show wasn't like feeling like a 100 percent thing they would like you know try to take it up a notch somehow you know um, or do something to make it like hit that level that they wanted. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um and I feel like when they when they would because you know they never had a set list, right? And um they would just kind of call out songs. Um and so I, I feel like Glue Man is definitely being was played at shows where they'd hit that like threshold. And then finally by the end of the show they're just like, okay, fuck it, let's play Glue Man kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I, it's time, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, let's do it. I, I imagine sometimes just uh, for logistical reasons it might be slotted in if if they're playing a song already where Gee is not playing guitar and he's just doing vocals like I don't know, Furniture, one of those other early kind of uh, songs, but but yeah it's <laughs> it seems like it would shine most as a as a closer and i guess um that's that's how it it happened a lot of the time
1: yeah yeah totally
0: uh yeah i was uh, speaking of live performance and uh giving your all the the guitar part that ian plays he's it's like this he's sliding up and down the strings right over and over mm-hmm. and over and over again. It's almost, it's amazing. He was able to do that without like slicing open his finger, like somehow injuring his hand. I can't even imagine, uh, playing that, uh, with as much energy as Ian played. Maybe that's part of the reason why they didn't play it too much or just reserved it for special occasions.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's true. It's a very, it's a very interesting guitar part. Um, you know, it. Have you ever heard? Um, have you ever listened to the project that Ian did with um, Al Jurgensen from Ministry? Oh, uh,
0: Pale Head. Pale Head. Yeah. Ye- um, yeah, it's been a long time, but I, I think I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's
1: elements to 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 Gloom Man that that sort of remind me in some ways of the Pale Head um project it's just like this kind of like because that guitar part that you're talking about that way you know it's kind of it's kind of got like a kind of like industrial like you could you could imagine like you know ministry sampling that guitar part sure. and turning it into this sort of like drill type sound you know what i mean like a drill sample like it's a it sounds sort of industrial to me you know it has this kind of like you know almost like it could be like a sample of like a machine that's just kind of revving up you know what i mean it has this like kind of revving kind
0: of like quality to it you know like wow 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 you know <laughs> yeah it also always struck me that it sounds a bit like sirens which is maybe because right um on the record uh it comes uh right after suggestion the very end of suggestion ian says guilty and then the sirens start yeah yeah Uh, One other thing about the music that, uh, for some reason, I didn't get around to um, finding out for myself. So on on the Facebook group for this podcast, um, I asked some of our listeners if they have any comments uh, about the song. Previous guest Samuel Noble said, this is the only Fugazi song played in drop-D tuning. Is that right? Do you remember Were they, like, tuned down before... Uh, that is not the only Fugazi song played in Drop D. It's not.
1: Uh no, there's that song that um Joe sings on I don't have to look it up. I'm really bad with song titles, by the way.
0: Joe sang three songs. He sang Bayou, Recap Modati, Bayou. and The Kill. Yeah.
1: I believe re- Bayou is in Drop D. Okay. Because Bayou Bayou kind of has like a sound garden vibe to me a little bit. Uh it's kind of oh, got that kind of like Oh, you know it has that kind of you know kind of zeppelin kind of feeling but which is which is not which is not that weird considering joe lally was you know you know a big he was sort of he was really friendly with the guys in that band the obsessed mm-hmm. and that guy wino and stuff and you know those guys are you know pretty major stoner rock kind of um legends so I, I, you know anyway but yeah. I believe that one was in drop D.
0: Okay, yeah, that's that's very... But this one also was uh, definitely in drop D. You know, I don't even know if it's in any particular key. No, I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and it's just... Uh, um, it wouldn't surprise I, I really me. It has don't. This I don't think it like, would
1: really matter because yeah. it's just kind of like random in a lot of ways. It's not... I mean, the bass is playing something particular, but the guitar part, I mean, it's... There aren't too many there aren't too many melodic aspects to the guitar part in this song.
0: Yeah, I guess just that chugging low bass note, uh, like when Gee's saying "I spent it all," dun, 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 dun. like that. Yeah. That might be the a low D, but I, I for some reason, that. I forgot to uh, check that out before we recorded. So um, I guess that's that's an unresolved question, um, <laughs> listeners. Check it out for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so amazing music. Anything to say about the the lyrics to this song? Is is this something I mean I guess if it's not too personal a question has addiction touched your life in any way um friends or anything like that
1: Yeah sure you know um I mean you know over the years you know I've known people who've had addiction issues and um have a couple family members that have had difficult times with substance substance abuse and stuff Yeah I you know the interesting part for me in this song lyrically is that um so I, I live in Austin now the um part of Guadalupe Street which runs along the um west part of the UT campus is called the Drag
0: mm-hmm.
1: and It's interesting that um the lyric says I spent it all on a bag on the Drag because back in the day the Drag was where like a lot of like gutter punks and stuff used to hang out and there was a, my wife worked at a record store on the drag in the nineties called Sound Exchange, which was like the cool, you know, punk rock kind of like, you know, alternative type record store in Austin. And, um, you know, it was kind of like a lot of like gutter punks and, you know, homeless people and stuff would kind of congregate around there. You know, now it's just kind of like a, you, you know, up sort of vaguely, it's just college. Hmm stores and stuff but um i wonder i wonder what the drag refers to i mean obviously the drag can be a generic term for like a any kind of street main drag or whatever but
0: i am assuming it was like huffing like glue
1: oh you think drag
0: refers to like a taking a drag off a bag of glue i that's what i assumed like i'm not that familiar with the the parlance Mm -hmm. of like glue fume addicts (laughs) but like i just assumed that like that's that's what you call it with a cigarette so maybe it's the same with uh yeah huffing on a bag of glue i'm i really don't know i mean the only time i've ever actually
1: seen and i ironically i suppose um the only time i've ever seen anybody actually huff glue was when i was in brazil with fugazi and i I, we uh me and gee and uh joe lally and uh jerry busher who is fugazi's other crew member there are only ever two of us as crew Uh, Me on sound and Jerry Busher was the stage tech who also ended up playing, you know, second drums on a lot of the later stuff. Um, I remember walking around São Paulo with those guys this one day, and um, you know, there, there. I remember seeing like like homeless street urchins, you you know, like little kids, you know, like six year olds, um, with these paper bags. And they're like, you know, kind of huddled up in a corner, like, you know, down an alley. And I remember seeing them with these paper bags. And I was like, what the hell is that? What is going on? And it's like, well, yeah, those are like homeless kids who sniff glue out of the huff glue, you know, out of these paper bags, you know, and it apparently it um allays the feeling of hunger.
0: Well, that's one of the biggest bummers I've ever heard. Wow. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, like, that's, wow, yeah. But, um, yeah. I can imagine you don't forget something like that. Well, I mean,
1: Brazil's one of those places that's just like, it's just like a um, a study in contrast, you know? I mean, the people are so fun, and it can be very beautiful, but it's also really dark and super harsh, you know? Um, and I, the only time I ever went there was with Fugazi, and we we, I mean, it was an incredible experience going down there with those guys.
0: Yeah. You know? I mean that's interesting too because in the song the lyrics um you know in in Jim Cohen's film it's um a grown man who's like huffing glue but yeah like the lyrics in the song talks about children in a park um and it doesn't explicitly say that the children are getting high on glue but um park where children play pick up stones anything to make them feel less alone maybe it's like it's it's that way in the lyrics to um I don't know, to give you a sense of tension that there's like somebody huffing glue in the same place where, you know, kids are playing. Um, but yeah, I guess it hadn't occurred to me before, but kids could be doing it, too. Yep, I'm fortunate enough that like addiction hasn't played a huge role in my life. Like the, the biggest thing and the, the line I spent it all in particular uh, makes me think of this is there's an estranged uncle that I have who like I basically grew up without knowing him because he was a gambling addict so Hmm. I spent it all really rings in my head like uh with that and I guess the story with him is when he was like he was underage he was like 17 or something and he was uh he went to the the horse track and he won the trifecta which for people who don't know is you place a bet on the, the horse that comes in first, second, and third, and you get them all right, and you win this, like, enormous amount of money. Like, the odds are crazy for that. So, like, he was he was underage. He had to have his mom come down and collect his winnings for him. Um, but apparently, like, this, as the story goes, like, that was the end for him. that he, he got hooked on gambling, could never get off it, and, yeah, sort of ruined his life. Um, wow. So... Yeah, for me, I mean even though it's not substance abuse, it's like similarly really derailed uh the life of somebody that I don't know, otherwise could have been somebody close to me.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean there was like some amount of drug use in the DC music scene in the 90s. I was never like a you know, like a really doctrinaire straight-edge person, but you know in high school I was straight-edge because it was like I was into the DC hardcore scene and it was like you know, I thought it was cool and so I wanted to be like them, so I didn't drink or do drugs. But I mean I lived I actually I actually moved out on my own when I was sixteen. Um because my parents split up and my mom wanted to leave the area and I I didn't want to be with my dad. So you know, but I, I was lucky because, you know, I was into this music scene that, you know, was about, you know, that, you know, where not doing drugs was was that was the thing people did. So, or didn't do or whatever but um you know so i i feel like if i had if i had not had that i probably would have ended up like a real mess cuz i didn't have any you know parental supervision at all from yeah. the age of 16 on um now you know i mean i i drink and stuff now i mean whatever i'm not like you know i'm i'm not straight edge anymore but um you know it served me well when i was a teenager and um and you know, then living in DC all throughout the 90s and working at the Black Hat and, you know, kind of um, being around people who did do pretty hard drugs often. I I just could never really see appeal in it, but, you know, I understood why people did it. And I, I, you know, I never really judged people for doing it. You make their own decisions. I definitely knew lots of people who where drugs ruin their life, you know?
0: I think for a lot of people, uh, punk rock, And, you know, specific bands, Fugazi, others are an alternative to that kind of thing. Like, like that can be your addiction, like not to be too like, um, uh, yeah, music is my drug of choice, but, uh, but it's true. Like that's, that can be something that you could be obsessed with, lose yourself in, like, let it take you to other worlds or whatever. And, uh, yeah, try to stay away from that a little.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, they were never, it was never, like, a, a
0: big deal with them. Like, I, you know, it was, I, you
1: know, the whole issue of, like, drugs and drinking was never anything that, you know, came up at all. And, like, the years that I spent touring with them, you know, I, I drank um, when I wanted to, but, you know, not a lot. And mainly, I couldn't really, I mean, it was just, like, there was never any alcohol backstage because they didn't have it on their rider. Yeah. <laughs> so if I wanted to have a drink, I'd have to go out with, like, People after the show and go to a bar or something um but often we'd travel after the show, so we you know Ian liked to kind of like um get out of town um after the show, so we would often get in the van or whatever and drive an hour or two um so we'd end up like staying at like a motel in the middle of nowhere <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, like you know, I never really felt like I missed out on anything by by having that and it was but it was never like a thing where I you know was it was never weird if I wanted to go have a beer or something like that. And you know um so I you know their their sort of perspective on it was never dogmatic at all. Yeah. You know? And and that whole that whole thing with straight edge and like straight edge hardcore just got like you know totally perverted to me because it really became just like the same side of the coin of like being a total party party frat boy you know but you're just like the exact opposite but you're you're basically the same mentality kind of or something yeah i don't know i could never really i never really got into that um aspect of sort of straight edge
0: became a parody of itself it really did i guess to to bring it back to what i was saying before about i spent it all possibly referring to performance of the song that also rings true to me with the lines, he holds his home in the palm of his hand and says, uh, you are my everyone, you are my anyone, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because, you know, when you watch Fugazi playing it live also, the thing that Guy's holding in the palm of his hand is the microphone. And uh, just like with that other line I mentioned, you can imagine him saying this about, you know, music and performing live. Like, this is like, it's it's everything to him. It, it just, uh, he spends so much of his time thinking about it and doing it, and it really, means the world to him or 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 you are my everyone could be the crowd yes yeah i like i like thinking about these little possibilities in the lyrics yeah as you can probably tell
1: <laughs> yeah well i mean when it when it when they were playing it live you know it, it really felt like you know i i always thought that those those awards at the end of the at the the end of the song were addressed to the crowd but i mean i mean that's just me
0: Even within, like, this isn't a song with a ton of lyrics, um, but the ones that are there, you can read in a few ways. Like, spent it all, like, as I said, you could refer to spending money on your addiction or whatever. But, you know, it can also refer to burning your opportunities in life, your relationships, your future. There are all these things that people sort of, quote-unquote, spend in order to uh, chase a destructive addiction of some kind. Um, So, yeah, there, there are a lot of these little things you could write an English paper about if you were so inclined. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so something we like to do on the show is ratings where I ask my guest if you had to give this song a rating from one to five stars but only in the context of Fugazi songs like, like their least your least favorite song of theirs to most favorite song what do you think you would rate glue man I give it a four I think I'm going to award this one of my five stars, uh, for me. It's, um, yeah, it's iconic in some ways. And it really, as you said, as you pointed out, symbolizes that, that thing that, that Guy and Brendan, um, especially that Rites of Spring thing that they brought to the band and, um, added a, another dimension to it. Yes. Yeah, something I think of too is, uh, how, how do I feel like if I'm, seeing Fugazi live and the the opening notes to this song start and uh, for this one so exciting to me to throw it a little to a couple more of our commenters on social media there's um Junter Hobbits who's a um who's a real expert on you know Fugazi live shows he's listened to a ton of these things he says uh it's a five-star song all across the board for me Probably my absolute favorite Fugazi song, the incinerating, crushing 1993 Roseland Ballroom version in New York City, as featured in the instrument documentary, is still my favorite live version. And he also mentions that um, there's a person named Drew O'Doherty, who basically took that uh, that last note of that was ringing out on Ian's guitar um, from the performance of Glue Man at their last show in London. He took that from that recording and did this like interesting thing where he stretched it out into this l- little like ambient um echoey uh, music track for lack of a better word so uh, i'll put a link to that in the show notes if listeners are are interested to listen to that it's pretty cool so um thanks for hipping me to that junter um let's see friend of the show conan neutron says perhaps the most underrated song of that era totally badass and Carl Goldspink says perhaps Ian's closest moment to Hendrix? Question mark psychedelic hallucina- hallucinatory delivery from Gee also um, from suggestions guilty into that droning start one of the greatest moments in rock um, great so thanks for your comments guys getting to the end of the show I'd like to give you a chance to do some plugs. Never mind what's- If you have any, where can listeners reach you? Do you have any music uh, projects coming out or or any other kind of projects that you want to tell our listeners to have a look at?
1: Um, Yeah, well, my current band is called High Heavens, and um, we are on the streaming platforms. We put out our first album in June. Um, We played our last show on March 7th, of course. That was before... Our current, um, unfortunateness, um, you know, but we, yeah, we finished our album. We put it out by our, we put it out on our own. Um, we were, we are going to do, maybe we are going to do a vinyl release, but we're going to hold off until we can like start playing live again, promoting it. But, um, yeah, that's like, that's like my latest musical, um, musical. I'm, I'm kind of out of the sound game at this point. So, um, pretty much kind of just my, my involvement with music is, is, is back to being just a drummer. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, yeah, that's what I'm up to.
0: Well, as far as I'm concerned, never say just the drummer, like the drummer is so (laughs) important. And, uh, as, as an instrument that I don't play, um, it seems like a mystical and arcane art to me. So I have much respect for you guys. Um, well, that's great. Thank you so much again for joining me, Nick. It's uh, It's been really fascinating hearing about some of those uh, little tidbits about managing their live sound. So thanks for bringing that to the show. I really appreciate it. My and, pleasure. Yeah, my plugs as usual. You can just spread the word about this podcast. You can recommend it to a friend, give it a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can also reach me by email at Fugazi a to z at gmail.com. You could join that Facebook group I mentioned earlier. It's just called the Alphabetical Fugazi. And uh, give us your two cents about today's song. Uh, And I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we'll be discussing Great Cop. Until then, keep your eyes open.